how do you choose to define yourself? The greatest thing you ever did or the worst thing that you ever did? Which one of those encompasses your thoughts more? Those are pretty heavy questions. And we all want to be heroes in the eyes of others. And we all want to be remembered for something great. But if we have the ability of recognizing the worst things we've done too, and addressing those, I think it's just as valuable. I don't know how it can't be. It has to have horrible shit in it. So all of the most wonderful stuff can be recognized and appreciated. And that's all I know. A rose is only beautiful because it dies. Welcome to Salish Wolf, a podcast bringing you inspirational stories of extraordinary endeavors. I am your host, Todd Howard. Just south of my Vancouver Island home is a tiny archipelago on which for nearly a decade lived a most astonishing animal, a lone wolf. Takea, as he would be named, survived and thrived in an environment where likely no wolf had ever set foot. In the process, he captured the hearts of a community and showed us even the most unlikely is possible. His story is not dissimilar to those of the individuals interviewed on this podcast. At some point, they each had to turn to their inner lone wolf. From there, they were able to lead and inspire. My intention is to share their journeys to help you discover your own inner greatness and peace. This podcast is brought to you by Anchor Point Expeditions, where I provide life-changing personal leadership retreats for men, coaching, and other valuable personal growth resources. Visit anchorpointexpeditions.com to see where your journey could take you. I first heard Will's music around 2003 in a nightclub in Victoria, BC. With that show, I became an instant fan of this crazy bearded man who could make more noise with a guitar than anyone I had ever encountered before. With wild guitar riffs, guitar drumming, his trademark broken strings, and his mesmerizing voice, Will became my live act of choice. Over the years, I have seen him up and down Vancouver Island in pubs, jazz clubs, theaters, parks, and even in a living room. Will delivered in every single show. Naturally, when I recently reached out to Will's wife, Caroline, to see if he'd be interested in recording a podcast, I was thrilled by the response. And then Will offered no fewer than three massive bonuses. He was keen to get personal, which he had never publicly done. He wanted to feature new music on the episode, and he wanted to come to my studio to record in person. I don't think I've ever laughed so much during a podcast recording as during this one. Will takes us on a tour of his skateboarding and punk rocker roots, shares with courageous intimacy the powerful relationship he had with his father, and explores 30 years of music making and touring supported by his love, Caroline. Will is not just a talent, but he is impossible not to like. With this, we have begun an incredible adventure, and I hope you enjoy its unfolding here with the premiere of four new songs by the guy who is soon going to be your favorite recording artist. I hope you enjoy the show. Will, welcome to Salish Wolf. Thank you. It is an honor to have you here, and I'm, I can't believe we're sitting in the studio together. And thank you for coming to my my humble studio. Yeah, I know it's uh, probably not up to the standards of most of the recording studios you step into, but uh, it's it's my home. Yeah, there aren't standards too, though. Believe it or not, it's amazing how you can feel in a place. Uh, 
so yeah, no, appreciate it a lot. And you got a great place here. It's, it's really cool. But I will say as far as standards go, I've been in studios that were world-class studios that felt sterile and lifeless. And I've been in janky little weird junk house studios that were so warm and so wonderful and thrown together over the course of years of people being having passion for it. So there's no rhyme or reason to it. You know, it's how it feels, right? Yeah. And uh, that can be also, uh, that can tr- uh, translate in the music you record too. Like there's no, there's no real, there's no guidebook or way that you're supposed to record and write and record music period. Yeah. So it kind of goes with that, what you're talking about as far as. I was actually sitting in here with my son a few weeks ago when you and I were planning this via email and I told him like this guy, Will, one of my favorite musicians is going to come and I'm going to record him. And so my son, Ollie wanted to hear some of your music Right. and he sat in the chair where you're sitting he put on the headphones and I just, I picked one of your songs off of YouTube or off your website and he started listening to it and he looked at me and goes, this is really good. He's really good. Nice. And he sat here for like 15 minutes and he just wanted me to keep playing him songs. And I left the studio and he was still sitting here with oh, the wow. headphones on listening to your music. That's great. Yeah, he's a, he's a lovely little guy. I'm glad we had a chance to have dinner with him. Yeah, it's been great having, having you here. And his enthusiasm for your music, it, it just reminds me so much of what my enthusiasm has been for your music for the past nearly two decades. Wow. And it's your music is part of the soundtrack to my life. And you know some of my friends who I used to come to your concerts with, and without fail, if you were in town or anywhere near us on the island, we were coming to see you. Right. And I've seen you in so many intimate venues, including a friend's living room. Yeah. And it's it's just been incredible. And your music, it just touches on so many different levels. And I, I can't thank you enough for it. It's It's been incredible. What has that journey been like for you in creating what I think is some of the the best music that's out there. Now, of course, I'm a bit biased, but... <laughs> you need more CDs. I, I'm not the only one. Like, no, I'm, I'm not the it. only one who thinks that. No, I appreciate it. I do. I get what you're saying. And my CD joke is just something that I used to tell people all the time. Like, they'd come after a show, they'd say, you're the best artist I've ever ever seen and I'd, I'd say you need to go see more artists you know and then eventually my wife said why don't you just say thank you <laughs> you know like because i'm always trying to find an angle to either be humorous or make somebody feel comfortable and not hurt their feelings right so but no the the whole journey part of it of of it is like um i don't know if, if, if it's a shared sentiment with a lot of uh singer songwriters and so forth because there again there's no there's no way of doing it everyone has a process everyone's different um outcomes can be similar you can end up writing and recording songs and making a record and then you go tour them and play them and sing them and meet people and go home and then so that's fairly similar and common but the process uh for me personally i'd say right away while you were asking the question i i thought all I ever did was wonder if I could ever write an, enough songs to have a show that could last an hour and 15 minutes, you know? So there's that bit of obsession. There's, or, or maybe not obsession, but just a concept, right? Then there's, oh man, what if I could like record an album? Like, are you kidding me? Like, what? That, that's, just, that's just like saying I'm going to build a house when you've never done one. You just, you know, we're going to mill the property and just, 
you know, build a home and I, I designed it and I did it with my buddy and we drank beer and made a house. And, um, I don't think it's terribly different when it comes to that as a daunting task or feat, because again, there's no one way of building that home. You can have a 400 square foot workshop with a bunk, like literally a bunkhouse with a wood burner. And it could be the greatest place you'll ever, ever, ever lay your head down in. Or you could have a, a marbled mansion and really make it a home and have kids screaming through the hallways and they can't wreck the marble. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? So yeah, it's just like there's, there's a million ways that you can make, you can do it. And when I thought about the, the, the concept of making an album was just daunting and impossible let alone writing an original song, right? right? So that's just that's just how it goes for people. Yeah. But the journey, once you go past, <clears throat> you get past yourself when it comes to like these limitations and impossibilities, you then start to really pay attention to all the material that you do need to make this happen. So you're not so fixed. There gets to be a tipping point where you're not fixed anymore on how many songs you have and what people think of your your new song and how long your set list can be for and are you engaging enough and uh, I can't wait to have I remember like some of it would say like this is your this is your third studio record I'd be like no it's my fifth like really kind of defensive almost like depending on the mood right because you're really proud of them and I wasn't angry it was just more like I always had to qualify like the longer I was in this industry the more the more you want to let people know that you know what you're doing yeah versus just shut the fuck up and sing your song and let them decide what what who you are right and when you get out of your own way you start to really it becomes the journey and then you get to have you get to pay attention to all of that stuff you get to see what you're drawing from you get to see what moves you about the human stain which is my personal favorite thing is just human beings being human beings uh, the really hard, hard lifting, heavy lifting, as my friend Dan would say, um, the the really tough shit, the really, it, this isn't good. And I was really fixated on that forever. And that was part of a journey because I'd gone through some hard, hard things. Then I watched people go through hard things. And that's a lot of ammo if you pay attention to it. If you don't pay attention to it and you're oblivious to it, you won't be able to draw from that and ever write anything that's rel relative to it. Some people would like to write the polar opposite of how they're, they're being if their life is hard. So they come up with wonderful, happy songs, right? So that whole journey of, of it, so to speak, is uh, it just only becomes your own life and other people's lives and their stains. And you're just constantly drawing from it because you're paying attention to it. And you're paying less attention to wanting a Juno or accolades or a hit radio single or um or the worst one for me personally is being as good as the people i adore and admire that's another hang up altogether right like when you're honest enough to realize who you are because you know who you are you realize that you're more like tom petty than you are bill callahan so tough shit guess what cookie you get to actually go and carve out these really cool tunes because last time I checked Tom Petty had quite a remarkable life not yeah. just an existence of success I'm talking about a remarkable life so you just I don't know that journey becomes yeah. you shed all of your uh all of the you've more and more of what gets in your way so where did you start where are your roots uh my mother's vagina was sort of <laughs> like that that 
I got to give her props right immediately <laughs> because that's the beginning. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And plus, if you, I'll let you know if you should keep this in because I do want her to hear this. But she would, she would also laugh depending on her mood because she's got an amazing sense of humor. But uh, so that's the beginning. <laughs> Let's take one foot. Let's step out of that just so, just a little yeah. bit. Okay. Okay. Let's step out of where my did you where did you land? <laughs> Oh, I couldn't resist. It's it's your wife's apple crumble. Like, uh, uh, anyway, uh, the uh, yeah, it's uh, uh, I I guess being young and having memories of like legitimate memories of living in Quebec, where uh, I was born and and for the most part raised in my youth with my sister at the time, uh, born in nineteen seventy and. And uh, my parents were just like a, a a wonderful, albeit like there's a bit of a stereotype with the man who goes to work and the mom who stays at home and is an amazing mom, right? And uh, that's, they had us young and they were high school sweethearts and the whole bit. And, and uh, they stayed together the entire time up until my dad passed away. So they they weathered storms and they created a, a loving environment for children. And uh, my mom is a really, really great kid mom. Like she, she knows babies. She knows young, young children. So she's already like predisposed to being that good at that. Right. And uh, my dad, just a hard, hardworking human being, uh, honest, earnest, uh, very knowledgeable, really handy as all get out of, uh, everything I didn't want to be when I was young, you know, like a re- really organized man who was uh, a very successful heavy duty mechanic and then went on to, uh, to uh, be, uh, carve out a, a great living in the oil and gas business when he moved us out to Alberta in 1980. He wanted a better life for his family and that's all there is to it. And uh, so he busted his balls and made it happen. And he's the guy that other people would like I have a tattoo for instance on my left arm of a company that he cut his teeth with for the most part as a real mechanic and it's Ingersoll Rand Canada and uh this this image is the the number one thing that reminds me of him and always will like even over a photograph of him this is more valuable to Mm -hmm. me so I've had people over time say what's with the Ingersoll Rand tattoo because it's also an old icon like an old graphic and I'd say it was my dad and and I'd say and who was your dad and it's Barry Mimna and they'd be like I knew your dad and people just knew him because of either his his lore or his 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 uh what's the term for like a legend status almost you know like just uh he was known for being this type of man or people legitimately knew him and they worked with wow. him and uh, uh, he was kind of uh, just very well, very well respected in his field. And um, so, yeah, that, that's, I guess, what you're kind of getting at as far as maybe the question of where I, where, like where, it's, where I'm from, so to speak, where it comes from, where I started. Yeah. And then yeah. uh, my father was a weekend warrior of a musician and he played okay. gu- played guitar and sang. My mom has the voice of an angel and she grew up with a, her mother who was the head of a choir in, in, uh, in Brampton, Ontario. And 
so very, very musical. We had music playing all the time. Uh, my parents supported everything that my sister and I, uh, and then later on my brother would listen to. Like, it didn't matter. They didn't have any judgment for wanting to listen to Benny Goodman or Iron Maiden. So that it was all open. Like, I'd go to bed at night with it. If it was too loud, it would take them forever to come down and go like, hey, just turn it down a bit. Right. And so I got into the Sex Pistols and I got into all kinds of music that had expletives and crazy. You could get into gangster rap and my mom would be like, what's this? <laughs> you know, this is interesting. Yeah. Or I don't care for it, but hey, if you, if, you, if you like it, that's awesome. So musical family for sure, that was a massive component to uh, carving out this sort of existence of mine without without a doubt right uh, my parents had house parties like religiously they had great house parties like real barn burners you know yeah it's I, so good to hear that i can i can feel the respect mm. that you have for your parents and the love for them and and that influence that they had on you so many people have had the opposite experience oh, yeah sure and, and they remember the negative impact and the negative influence and that's what shaped them yeah but it's great to hear this story where in your formative years, your passion was shaped in part because of your love for your parents and, and their inspiration upon you. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's just straight up. Yeah. And yeah, uh, being a, a 13 year old hyper, hyper as all get out, uh, needing, uh, a, a way to express, you know, like every other frustrated kid, but I was also additionally, really all over the map and uh when i'd pick something up I, and I'd, I'd obsess over it and become really good at it quickly and then just drop it and move on um no attention span all those things right this the perfect storm for uh, ritalin you know like your kid has add blah 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 um and uh my father being a little bit more stoic at times and a little bit more militant in his his he, he was more like his dad and uh but great sense of humor too that was tough for him because he's got this haywire young man uh, or trying to help mold a young man too, right? And he never f was, he, yeah, he was never like, you're going to follow in my footsteps and you're going to be a mechanic and you're going to be like, we just didn't gel at the height of my stupidity because he was just wondering what to do. What do I do with this? Yeah. This, this, this ball of energy of, uh, uh so he gave me his guitar and I illustrated and drew and he bought me a drafting table. He's like, he's an illustrator. He's a painter. This kid won't go to bed. All he does is step and he draws till four in the morning and then gets up and goes to school. So they bought me a big drafting table and it took up a third of my bedroom. It's totally supportive. Um, hey, I, hey, who, who drew that picture on the wall? I did. You drew that? Yeah, but I'd sure rather draw on the wall. Okay, go for it. So I I just had oil pastels and I I drew my first I think it was a snowboarder uh doing a backside something or other like some Burton old school magazine thing. Yeah. And I drew that on my wall and my parents just like, "Yep, it's your bedroom, it's your walls. When you're done, when if we move, you're going to paint it and get rid of it or cut one out and keep it, do whatever you want." Just And so they were so supportive of that sort of like like my mom would often say, like through throughout throughout throughout, especially the last after my dad's death, she'd say we just didn't have the tools, and uh, I, like she'd kind of beat herself up a bit about how we were raised sometimes because they were learning as they went, 
and and it's just like that's what parenthood that's, is. Isn't that's it? exactly yeah. that's what it is to this day. Yeah, it's subjective as you wouldn't believe. Like uh, uh, there is no handbook. No, you start out by don't kill it, you know, <laughs> and then go from there. Yeah. And uh, so her apology, like there weren't apologies for like how we were raised. It was just I'd always find myself more than not trying to talk her off that that guilt of that cliff of like because uh, we've had a lot of things that I won't probably get into either uh, just based on privacy too um, throughout throughout life with my sister and my brother and uh, just a, a lot of interesting things and a lot of unique things to the individuals that are that are we're all broken in different ways and we all had to get fixed for things and that's just that's what happens and my parents only ever tried everything exhaustingly to to endless efforts to do the best and provide the best and they really truly did like if they were child psychologists i doubt that they could have done better i really feel that way and i'm not just saying that because she might listen to this someday but (laughs) it's the truth you know you know you know when you're growing up and how your life is you know Mm -hmm. um what was it like for you to lose your dad oh well that that was just like like what's it what what would it be like for you to lose your legs you know and wake up tomorrow and they're gone right yeah uh that'd be easier because right. you know i'd still be intact emotionally and my heart my heart wouldn't be broken you know like i would just like wow my legs are gone well i did see some really cool prosthetic ones online the other day and there's the blade runner guy and you know so my brain the uh, it was a it, it, it's different uh because it's like it was out of nowhere and it was totally an accident. So uh, I'm not saying that's, that's, you know, I had it worse than someone who watched their father wilt away from cancer. I, there's no, there's no winner. This you is know? your personal experience. Yeah, yeah, personal. exactly. So it was a, out of left field, total blindsided thing. And, uh, and the, I didn't know what it was like to lose him at all until time went away. Time went on. Sorry. Uh, you don't know then and there, like you're only dealing with the, the, the tragedy and the uh, the blow and and uh, so I think when I was cognizant enough to pay attention to no, I only formed an opinion of what it was like to have lost him the longer I was away from him and knowing I'll never see him again. Mm-hmm. How yeah. old were you? Uh, this is only about ten years ago. Yeah. Only yeah, <laughs> like that's, that's well, ten years ago now. What the hell? Yeah. But I I think like I'm not I'm I'm brutal with dates. Uh, I don't. Uh, uh yeah just yeah it's uh about 10 years ago um and yeah we were actually playing in tofino the night before and uh we had a show with uh, adam buskard at the, the hall there and and uh i'll never forget like in the morning um no that night after the show i had a message from my dad and he had been drinking and playing music with my brother and He'll, he'd leave me messages like when he's had a few cats, as we call them. Like when you're looking cats, that means you're having beers. <laughs> and uh, and he he's the guy that just opens up and turns into a big ball of love the more he drank, you know, and just broke. He breaks out his guitar and he starts singing. And, and it's just this crazy cool thing that you end up bonding with your father with from yeah. the moment that you knew how to share that or had a, your first sip underage, right? Right. And yeah, alcohol 
has all kinds of negative connotations and you know uh, we're not talking about any of those we're just talking about the good stuff yeah and uh so those memories of all that like fast forward to that night after our show he called me uh and he'd called me old man hey old man just checking in and i could tell he's talking with a big shit-eating grin on his face because he's had a few cats right so and like at that time when i got messages from people with my phone i'd hear the message and i would just go okay and i would erase it because i didn't want to bung up my my shit you know right uh i never kept messages from people after i heard it because i heard it unless it had some in, in uh, information that i needed to to write down later um or if it's someone who like i don't know like at the time I, I can't explain it i just i would i'd hear it point taken delete i'll see you soon so that night uh he told me i, I love you and Hey, old man, I'm just checking in and your brother and I are listening to music and just thinking about you. I think you're playing somewhere. And he, he'd go on a little bit, and, you know, <laughs> and I'd just be like, yeah, 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 get to the point. I love you. Okay, cool, great. And seven, press seven, which is, I think, delete at the time that was on my phone. Yeah. Then that following morning, we're leaving and we stop at Long Beach and it's just hammering in ra- with rain. And Caroline's phone rang, but I didn't. I don't know if I heard her pick it up or because the rain was so loud. But she turns around and she's looking at me, and her face is completely like a gargoyle. It's just melted and completely distorted, right? Because she's she can't breathe and she's mm-hmm. crying so hard. And it's my sister, and she called Caroline's phone and passed me the phone and said he died. And I'm like, who? You know? And it's like, what the fuck? And then. At that moment, you're just like anybody, you know, you just, uh, you go into survival, denial, all those things. And he's gone is what she kept saying. He's, he's gone. And she could, yeah. So the, uh, the, the deleting of that message, uh, was like, I, I also erased him too, you know? So. I didn't know that I could probably get in touch with TELUS and maybe find it in an archive, but it was too late for me to conceive of that because I had to now focus on driving back to Calgary with my friend Jeff who came out to drive back with us and stuff. But uh, yeah, so just uh, that's the thing that I think your original question was like how I felt. I forget. The impact, I, forget. I don't remember. Yeah. Yeah. But... And, but that's the thing that stuck out the most as uh, the... Like that's the thing I think I would give anything to have right now. Like I've got emails from him still that I kept, uh, and like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a nostalgic person for sure. Even though I delete messages, <laughs> but yeah. uh, that's the one thing. Like fuck, I wish I had that. I I I keep trying to play it in my brain, right? You know, but. Hey, I don't, and it's gone, and he's gone. Yeah, and you have this incredible memory of it, though, and, and mm. remembering it the way that that means the most to you. Yeah, and and maybe it's a, a different version than what the original was. Yeah, maybe, sure. Maybe there's more meaning to it this way for you. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I hey, yeah, because I mean, many months later, this fella Jeff had had uh, I I'd, I'd gotten to know through uh, another buddy Cam out there who just wonderful man part of the radio 
station and musicians and the whole bit. And this fellow Jeff had said, Hey, uh, I needed to let you know something really, really sweet guy. He said, I saw you in the parking lot at Long Beach that morning. And this is maybe a year later even. Right. And, uh, I think, I think it had uh, somehow it had come up between us or something. I think he even came over and we, we hung out for a bit, but he, he needed to tell me that he saw that go down. And I was so grateful that he did. Like, I don't know what that is, if that's a historical reference or something, or or right. like a legitimate, like somebody witnessed me hearing the, watch, receiving the phone call of my father's death. Like that, that made me feel a little bit better, Yeah, you know, like, because it got documented in someone else's eyes. Yeah. And so. What did your music mean to him? Oh, everything. Yeah. Everything. Uh like uh, a lot because well he he really wanted to do what i do he he really genuinely did uh he had a a a band at interflex called the double eagle band with his friends and they'd go to they'd go to okotoks or uh i think uh i think it was in okotoks uh the elk hall i believe is where they would get together and play and and he jammed and and played in places with people and yeah just that's that's him i think like if i was to be asked now you know do you think your father could have should have would have been better off as a musician versus carving out a successful life in oil and gas and mechanics and all that stuff there's no answer to that like i remember fighting with it going man i wonder if he'd still be alive if he went on to be like bobby bear and he just made a living playing music don't know shit about that i don't know if he would have been happier or less happy you know i know he was getting increasingly more frustrated with his job and his what he had to do with answering more and more emails as technology progressed and the deerfoot was a nightmare for him which was a main artery in calgary that he'd spend more than enough time trying to get to work and back so he had his gripes for sure towards the end and he was gonna be retiring i would imagine not too far out down the road from that moment but but um yeah, the uh, what was the question? The impact, the meaning of your music to him. Yeah, the the meaning to him, it became. At first, I just thought he was being a supportive dad, right? Like, because he always was. And then, I think something happened where he genuinely saw some talent that he was really, really proud of, right? And then I started writing, and I started to write my own material because he'd only ever seen me do covers and bars for years because I hadn't written anything and uh eventually i started writing my own songs and sneaking them into those shows at in the bars you know and when was this about what age uh i would say the mid 90s okay, if i had to so throw a throw 25 a, or so you were writing yeah them. yeah yeah totally and how long had you been playing in bars and stuff uh i didn't i was a late bloomer i didn't really start playing until like I guess I played a bit when we were in Vancouver in the early 80s but not really anything till we got back from Vancouver and that would have been like 94 so probably I think I got a gig at the Barley Mill in maybe 94 to do a few covers of over in the, over in the corner kind of thing okay uh yeah and uh, and uh and then fast forward you know I stayed at the Barley Mill, actually. That's what happened. Uh, I stayed there as a regular, and I was playing there sometimes two nights a week, right? 
did you have the passion at that time that you would eventually develop or was this just a gig for you no covers full, full passion you were in fully invested wanting to write your hour and 15 long show yeah, yeah yeah like oh yeah uh i knew this was the education part this was the the cutting of the teeth this was the long rehearsing hours of learning and, and honing a craft i knew it was all that stuff uh just purely sucking in one moment in front of people as as a powerful shit storm of badness and then <laughs> and then recover it immediately with another song that made everybody applaud and go through the roof and that's just that's what i recall you know and granted we we're all drinking and laughing and loving and when you sing a good song when you sing an amazing song okay in a bar you're probably gonna do all right right you'd have to really fuck it up to get people <laughs> upset you know um so yeah it was just and then i before i knew it uh it was five nights a week and playing at a different bar every night of the week and then the, the same place as those nights of the weeks, right? Yeah. And my dad would come to the gigs and come to some special shows and and I'd even had him up to sing and play guitar with me before. And uh, I remember forming my first real little kind of band, uh, John Card and Mike McCafferty at, uh, from Calgary. They agreed to play with me. John Card was a drummer and Mike McCafferty was an upright bass player. And they were part of Justin Curtis and the Outer Limits. And this was a very cool, I guess, rockabilly sort of outfit out of Calgary. And uh, I really admired Justin Curtis. I thought he was pretty badass. And he was a sweetheart of a guy. And he only drank milk. <laughs> and uh, But uh, anyway, so uh, the John McCard and Mike McCafferty agreed to just play with me. And we rehearsed a set and played at the Barley Mill. And my dad came for that, you know. And that's the first time he's watching his son play with people. And he's like, there's something here, right? So it was pretty, pretty, pretty cool. And uh, and then on it goes, and I start, you know, making records, and you get signed to a label, and you you, you get yeah. invested in part of the big machine. And you, my dad would, uh, he he was a pretty like guarded guy too. Like he held his cards close when he wanted to, and so you'd find out more about what he what he really appreciated in your music when he kind of loosened up you know but i remember him loving mama and big life uh those those two tunes who doesn't Uh, well thanks but uh i think my dad actually thought he asked me once i believe this is mama about mother earth uh the earth and it's like absolutely could be because he's a very poetic man too which a lot of people didn't know so yeah, and uh, he just became uh, a fan, like a genuine fan, and uh, as did my my mother. And uh, um, no, it it just uh, it did my heart a whole bunch of good to do things like, you know, uh, <clears throat> uh, play Massey Hall. You mm-hmm. know, I wish he could have seen it, but like that's huge because you're walking down the hallway and there's Gordon Lightfoot's face and wow. and oh there's neil young that's when he cut that record here and you know what i mean and my dad was immersed in all that music my parents were so there was a few bridges that were gapped over time of my career when my dad was still around or after he died like uh we got to do a show with uh randy bachman at the port theater on the island and randy had an artist paint his poster for this show 
uh, in watercolors. And it's this big, beautiful, long, drape dressed woman, flowers, tendrils, details, all kinds of stuff on the poster. And we're just the opening act for him. But he had our names painted into this poster because we're part of the bill. So immediately grabbed one of those, had him sign it, framed it, boom, like went right to my parents' place. Right. And I can't, I think, I think, uh, um, I hate not remembering if he was alive for it or not, because I just can't remember. Uh, that's a bit of a blur, but it ended yeah. up in my bro- my brother's care that this this poster. But I think he was alive, and then, and now so that was well, we'll say he was, and that was just a huge thing yeah. for him to see that because he loved the Guess Who, you know, as people did of his generation that are Canadian, right? And and then generations later too, right? So yeah. bridging those gaps were really those are truly amazing things. And then I had a lot more of those happen after he had died, and and. Uh, a lot of those things where you just wish he was here to see that, you mm-hmm. know. I have this beautiful, speaking of father-son connection, I have this incredible memory that I think I'll always cherish of being with my son in a little town on the island called Cobble Hill. And my wife and daughter, were, the whole family was there. And I remember, I think we were there visiting friends. We found out you were playing in a park. And we're like, Will's playing. Let's go. <laughs> and so we went... And it was just this beautiful summer afternoon and you were out in the middle of the, the field on the stage playing your music and very relaxed, chilled crowd kind of all around and just a swarm of kids, hundreds of kids. Yeah, I, I remember the and show. they all had bikes. And my son yeah. was, I think, four at the time and loved riding bikes. And he was so bummed because we didn't have his bike. And so he, I encouraged him to go and make some friends someone who had a bike. Yeah. And so he went around and he literally started going up to people and trying to befriend them. And then he would ask <laughs> if he could ride their bike. And he ended up scoring this bike that was like a teenager's bike. Yeah. <laughs> and so my memory of pretty much your whole concert is I'm running behind him, worried that he's going to fall because he can't, if he stops, he can't get off this bike. Of course. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's I had not to, a step through. It's I had good. to lift yeah. him up onto yeah. it, but he's just racing around the field and happy as can be. And your music is just the soundtrack of that memory. And wow, it was such a beautiful experience. That's awesome. Have. That's really awesome. Actually. That's yeah. great. What was, I think, and I'm, I'm remembering from one of your concerts was your first song, both hands. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That song was, basically penned uh i would say and almost completed by uh, in its entirety by my friend jeff lytle who i used to live with in calgary and he's a brother from another mother and and um yeah and uh his brother at the time bruce lytle had inspired me to like push me to kind of you know do some more original tunes live too and his brother was a producer at the time um and a partner of six degrees uh, studios out of Calgary and a commercial house uh, for film and and commercial scoring and so forth and great composer great talent talented multi instrumentalist man Bruce Lytle and Jeff was a musician as well and a singer songwriter and the but he ended up going to school uh, to become a landman I guess would be the the term the loose term for that and then uh, having a family and and uh, you know uh, we talked to each other often to this day and we're the godparents of his kids and so forth the the brain surgeon the brain surgeon that's right. that's the the uh yeah. the daughter kira okay but uh 
So, yeah, the uh, both hands, uh, Jeff had penned it. Um, I, I honestly cannot remember contributing to it much else than like basically doing it live and giving it a live voice. Um, I think Bruce had would play it in his living room and, mm-hmm. you know, and or sorry, Jeff, sorry. Uh, yeah, so it just became this impetus or this sort of stepping point for an original tune uh, that, uh, yeah, I would just, I think it's that that's the only song that I sang for quite a while in my sets with, with covers of bands like The Verve and Pearl Jam and... And uh, more and more people started to get dig it. And the more it got played, the more it got developed. And now it's a whole other beast. It's got a gospel ending. It's, it's <laughs> like, it's pretty, it's like Monty Python's Flying well, Circus. I, but uh, yeah. I remember you saying that in, in the concert, that it was the first song. And it's, I had, to, I had to listen to it again and again and again with that new knowledge. And I just, I never could convince myself that that was possible. It, what an incredible launching pad that it turned out to be. But oh, the yeah. song is, it's just brilliant. It, it's an incredible song. And I think it's a, it's a fan favorite everywhere you go, every time you play it. Yeah, sure. It, it's it's stuck. You hit a grand slam. Well, yeah. Well, Jeff, you know, yeah. <laughs> arguably he hit the slam. <laughs> he, I don't know. We, it's, if he was here, we'd be just going back and forth with who laid who, yeah. who laid the egg and who was the chicken, but right. it would be to benefit the other person. Yeah. Because we're just, that's just how, I, I, I just, yeah, like he, him and Bruce specifically, and then uh, Six Degrees in general, uh, Johnny Iaquinta and Dan McManus and Ted Osler, and they were all like, those are the founding, the foundation pillars of, of, uh, the professional recording artist Will, who went off to get to 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 earn a a degree in touring life, you know. Right. Like, uh, I can give Matt Good or Colin James, probably Colin James, the award for best first real touring gig where I opened for a band that was substantial like mm. you know there's all those little memories peppered yeah. throughout this a career that all oh, those moments yeah they're all they're all they're all directly responsible for where I went and has your writing been more a collaborative affair since then or are you taking most of the writing now on yourself uh the writing part of it as far as like if 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 and when I've ever written with anybody I just take the story and okay. the lyrics, because for the most part, that's something that I've got no, no problem with for some weird reason. I mean, mm-hmm. clearly I talk a lot just for starters, right? So imagine <laughs> how much I can think of something, you know? So I've probably written a, a song 19 ways and decided to pick one of the best yeah. four versions of it. But the lyrics part of it, uh, I mean, I haven't done a lot of co-writing, to be honest, because like even when we went to Nashville... You know, uh, or when we first signed with EMI, you sign a you sign sort of a development deal where you know you have they they just see a lot in you and they want to sign you for multiple albums because at that point with with EMI we had the Both Hands record finished and we sold six or seven thousand copies of it from the side of a stage and the label goes, "Wow, you did that? Okay, well let's let's see what else you can do." So. We did another. We did our first major label deal 
studio album with EMI. And that was, uh, they picked up the Both Hands record to distribute it, but then we recorded uh, the next album with them and their 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 budget and their their uh, ability to call on great people. They would put me in positions to write with people, and that's where I was going. Sorry, the development the developing deal I think for them was quickly realized that there isn't much here that this person needs to develop as much as we need to hone it in mm-hmm. and and make decisions right um, <clears throat> because I'd already been playing five nights a week for a number of years. So I could tune my guitar and I could play with a drummer in front of people and have them engaged. And I'd, at that point, I'd only written 11 songs <laughs> that were all on that album, <laughs> other yeah. than, you know, with and writing both hands with Jeff and, or him having written that. And uh, uh, I'll, I'll never forget being in Halifax uh, at the Marquee Room on tour with Matt Good. And we're halfway through the tour and, we were talking at the merch uh, uh, table where my record is, and he just happened to be say, "How many songs have you written?" And I, I was a couple beers in, and I, so I was a bit like, you know, a bit of a, a a funny guy. And I, I go, "I'll tell you how many songs I've written." I picked up my record and I turned it around. And I went one, two, three, <laughs> four, eleven, <laughs> and he's like, "Oh, dude, I've written a thousand songs." And I said, but are how many of them are any good? <laughs> you know, like the, some snarky answer. And we hit it off. It was cool. Like, it was pretty cool. But that was the truth, though. I hadn't written. Yeah. I was on tour with Matt Good, having signed a major record deal. And I, I wrote I wrote one album. Right. You know, but it, it was pretty funny. I felt like um, I felt like I had a lot of growing to still do and developing, so to speak, you know. But then it just, back to the songwriting thing, uh it wasn't something that i needed to write with somebody so badly as i just needed the attention span to be sorted like not with ritalin but just Mm -hmm. hey you're gonna write a fucking song so sit down and write the song and then it has to have a beginning middle and end and then you have to be finished it and then you've written a song so it's kind of like you, this is what you need to do. What else? What what, right. what what don't you get? And so that's what I did, and I I I, I just put myself to that, albeit uh, opportunities to write with Ron Sexsmith and uh, Jason Collette, uh, Neil Osborne. You know, when you get opportunities to write with those people, you take them. Mm-hmm. But the coolest thing about those experiences is that you end up really enjoying each other's company. So you know what I mean, like. You, and but for the most part um i'm a big fan of writing my own material and it's not i know every musician will say it it's it's not because i i want the whole pie you know like i don't want to give up any any publishing right ah fuck that like i'll recognize the weaknesses any all day long i just figured out how to make that muscle work and now with uh my friend Dan McManus have having been my manager too for years and being a real mentor, a serious mentor. He took, took me to a place that a label couldn't take me to. And it was sort of that, uh, the heavy lifting part about it. Yeah. And you continue, like I've seen you mostly in small venues. Right. And yet I know you could own the gigantic venues 
What is it about the small venues that keeps bringing you back? Uh, I think it it's just the the business the the business reason for that is we've never had a hit song. How and, is that possible? And we're not we're not uh, popular or a big enough artist for that. Um, and what do you mean by hit song? Like, it- well, I mean a hit song in the industry standards of a hit song, where you have a song on the radio that charts that becomes quite popular for people for quite an, uh, a while, and it can warrant touring and being big uh, having the budget to be in big venues and it, and it opens the doors for that right uh, we've always been one song away as everybody is right some some artists only ever have one song and the rest of it's just a bunch of filler and that would be a horrendous position to be in uh personally i would never sign up for that uh no matter how much success came out of it yeah um i remember saying to our record label when we first sat down and at the table and uh um, they they basically asked me, "What do you want out of this?" And I think at the time we were with uh, Feldman and Associates, and uh, as our agent, and or I may have said this to Rob as well. But uh, my my answer, albeit coming across as sarcastic, it wasn't. I wasn't being sarcastic. I said, "I want to be the best opening band that there ever was. I want to be punctual." easy to deal with and have a motherfucker set and slay and then be done and leave and not have all the expectations riding on the success of whatever and having such a be such a big deal um back to that thing i said earlier where no one had ever asked me in all these years of doing interviews if i've ever wanted to be rich and famous they just assumed that's what i wanted because i became an artist yeah. No one ever started an interview saying, do you even want to be rich and famous? That's just sort of like, it's an assumption, right? And that's yeah. fair. I get I get that's what, what it comes with. But I never wanted to be rich and famous and be the name on, on the front of the saddle dome and the marquee and having sold 25,000 seats and have a Learjet and a ma- be a part of this massive machine. Albeit it's cool, it's all get out when you can provide that much that many jobs to, for so many people and sustain that and and be that motherfucker for a long time it's pretty cool but that was never my interest at all my interest was like it's it got stuck in bar world uh, as far as a, as far as a size goes um i loved being able to well now saying this now would be horrendous but when you sing and your spit flies out of your mouth and it gets <laughs> caught in the light and you know it's landing on people. <laughs> I know that's so inappropriate right now, but that's like that's connectivity uh, because all that all that represents is you're 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 all there together. Yeah. Like wherever you are in that venue, you can see what that artist is going through and the emotions that's going through them. Yeah, that to me is a performance, right? And being on a jumbotron was never something that I I really could could get my head around. But that's that said, I didn't. I've never thought of sabotaging the career, so it, we never got big. Or and we've played huge venues, and I enjoyed it. I really did. Like I love big theaters. Like we played a, a had a, a run of shows down in the states with Leslie Feist, and played like the Paramount, I think, in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Uh, we played in San Francisco at the Masonic Temple, and like huge theaters. That's about as big as I'd ever personally want to be if I had to write my own ticket. 
because it's a theater, you know? Right. That's pretty rad. But <laughs> I think my favorite venue in this country is still the Commodore. Yeah. You've got 1,500 people, and the ones that want to drink and talk over you can do that. And everyone else who's engaged floods the dance floor. And that's a, that's, that's a sweet, sweet size, you know? Anything right. above and beyond that, personally, isn't something that I'm even so terribly interested in going to to see someone I care about. Yeah. Well, and the size really does matter and the venues that you play and the intimacy that you could create. Sure. I mean, I've sat in jazz bars at a table right in front of you being showered with your spit (laughs) while sitting there with my two best friends just drinking beer, listening to you play. And it's like, wow, it's like Will's in our living room. And then at one time you were in one of their living rooms while we were listening to you play. Yeah. It reminds me when I think in 99, I was in Connecticut working right. in Moby's home state and he played a tiny little venue right before his album play was out, but it was before it went huge. And I remember being in this little venue of like 200 people and, and being there with Moby was just so intimate and intense. Sure. And then he got big and then I started seeing him in big stadium shows and it just wasn't the same. It can't be the same. It didn't have it. So you saw Moby before the play record blew up. Play was out. Yeah. And I later learned from reading his biography that it was first released with very little fanfare. Totally. And then it was re-released, I think, in November of that year. So I would have seen him in like June or July. Yeah. Yeah, that record just changed the world of music for so many reasons. It was incredible. Like, I think to this day, it might even still be the most... <clears throat> um oh what's the hell what the hell was that stat about the uh <clears throat> like commercial placement every uh, single song was licensed yeah i think it was the first album ever yeah where every song got licensed out and some of them multiple times yeah uh yeah. even body rock yeah which is the one that that's the song that i don't think belongs on the record <laughs> personally it shows his diversity his range yeah it's true and, and yeah. for me i went to that show i didn't even have the album yet i was a fan of moby during the punk days oh wow with the animal rights i loved that album and so i remember i was actually i was a water ski instructor at a summer camp and so i convinced a couple of the, of the girls i was working with like come to this concert with me it'll be great yeah and i told him it was going to be this punk rock show <laughs> And we get there and he plays his album play basically. Wow. Which I, none of us had ever heard. And it, I was just mesmerized. Yeah. How could Incredible. you not be? Hey? And is it true that, that a lot of those samples were from like the Jacksonville library, uh, like, uh, of old records from, a from artists that he could now use because it was over 50 years ago. Something like that. Like, yeah, yeah. Some of the, the voices and things that all oh, the sampling yeah, is just, incredible. it's devastating. And, and, just yeah very cool and apparently he did make that album in his apartment studio in new york yeah and i was i just read his porcelain his first autobiography not too long ago a couple years ago and i was shocked to because i was i was starstruck yeah i remember he was crowd surfing and i'm like carrying moby and it's like i'm touching a deity it's amazing yeah but then i remember reading his autobiography and he was so depressed like that was it he was done he had made that album and it was make it or break it yep. but he hated his life yeah he hated it all he i think he was suicidal oh. and i know i obviously had no idea and there he is playing the show where he had a i think he had a serious problem with alcohol and he was you know drinking to drown out his pain and 
it's like, I didn't know I'm here in the audience and just like worshiping this incredible yeah. musician. And as the, we do. Yeah. Yeah. And of course the rest is history, but it, it's so easy to look up to these stars yeah. and see nothing but the, the glitz, the yeah. glamour. hundred percent. Yeah. That's how it works. Yeah. The oddly enough, both hands, most people do not know what that song is about. Not to turn it back into me, but tell, tell it's, us. it's just you're, you're referring to and only what that song is about. <clears throat> the song itself is the rock star because of how uplifting and fun it is. But it's only about a woman who's pregnant who is an alcoholic and mm-hmm. cannot stop drinking. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. Plain and simple. Yeah. Not much else to say. <laughs> and the years I've been singing that song with people bouncing up and down and we're, celebrating we're singing and, about an alcoholic it's juxta, juxtaposed mother. against that i remember the yeah. first label meeting about doing that as a single with a music video we did and my idea at the time <clears throat> uh i can't remember if it was entirely my idea or bouncing it off of somebody else who helped negotiate it or something like we wanted to basically just pick a nondescript 60s bungalow saskatchewan looking house in the winter and the whole place is full of people and it's a fucking crazy party and it's awesome and the camera is on this woman who is the host of the party and it's this you know those cameras that are mounted to the body and face the person that they're mounted to so the background actually moves based on this gyroscopic yes designing and I don't know what it's called so everything behind them is shaking like shit and they're perfectly stationary with the camera mm. so it's a beautiful look and this was what this video was going to be of this woman all the way through high five smoking pot do a little bit of coke go downstairs sing with the band just following her through the whole thing and at the very end she goes out the back door leans over the railing in the snow and fucking pukes her guts out and the camera pans away and she's pregnant wow. and that was going to be the the video yeah <clears throat> and uh for some reason it was too harsh and i get it and it didn't go that way so instead it ended up being something completely different that was wasn't artistic or really valuable or deep or meaningful and we shot it in las vegas and it cost 50 grand and i don't even know what happened there but but back to moby uh the fact that you got to see him play play but then you mentioned seeing that versus then seeing him later on in a big environment pulling that album off correct mm-hmm. and it yeah. just something was amiss right it's not the same no no it's still amazing yeah but, sure but doesn't i can't compare it to being in in the spitting range as you say and, yeah and just the intimacy and and yeah. especially with an album like that some of those songs that are just go deep yeah just go right into the heart and the harmonies and yeah incredible no i totally agree and 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 there are bands like bands are funny records are one thing but bands some bands are immediately designed to be a stadium band like just by default even sometimes not even discussing a radio hit single or whatever they're just they just can be that way and some are not supposed to be that way and it doesn't it's not the ones that are quiet like jose gonzalez can't play the can't play bc place because he's for the most part potentially sitting on a stool with a classical guitar and (laughs) doing a massive attack cover or whatever like that doesn't mean he can't hold that look at ed sheeran for fuck's sakes right yeah that kid can just you know it works so it's not so much as like that it's just something that 
a band can or can't have to. Like, there's something there. Just as much as it is special to see Prince in the little venue in Victoria after his Staple Center show or whatever the place is called, Savon. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it just... I think that some bands can pull off the big just as much as they can't pull off the small. Yeah. And there's no, again, there's no, no freaking rhyme or reason to it. Like what's with that? It's pretty remarkable that way. Like it, yeah. But you talking about the intimacy of it all, it's, uh, uh, I don't know how you wouldn't want to feel intimate with anybody you would want to watch. Like I watched tool in the saddle dome and it was intimate to me. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Oh, like, yeah. Like, yeah. math rock and everything aside, and Danny Carey as the monster drummer, and they don't move. And there's barely much of a stage show, really, as far as I recall. It's a bit of lighting and some tasty stuff, but it's so immersive, mm-hmm. you know? Like, I'm sure they could pull it off at the, the pub, but fuck, I don't, yeah, I don't know if I'd show. want to see that in there. <laughs> like, so it's funny how that works, hey? Yeah. I'm excited for this new format that we kind of decided that we're going to do here because we're going to play some of your music and some new music. Right. So why don't we set it up and get into our first song just so this podcast isn't four hours long? No, I, absolutely, I, I, dude. I you've got a long drive ahead of you. Yeah. But um, you've picked, you picked a, a handful of songs for yeah. us. Why don't we set up the first one? Is it going to be Save This Song? Sure, yeah. Let's yeah. look at that. Why don't you tell me, tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, so Save This Song is probably one of the more recent songs that I've done uh, for a new album um, that I've been working on for over three years now. And the album keeps getting developed and added to and pushed and pulled and remixed and remastered. And now... I've landed on the concept of these just being really well-realized demos right now <laughs> that I think we're going to go into a studio and record. Right. But Save This Song, uh, specifically, it's a a love letter to the long relationship that any of us could find ourselves in at any given moment with someone that we care for that could go either way. And... You might even have a moment of wondering what it would be like to go the other way and then feel, feel sick to your stomach for even considering it mm. because you're in love and you may or may not have children or whatever it might be, whatever the life, the life things are that we all have, right? The yeah. most important things to us, right? So uh, it's a song that basically, I guess it just sort of uh, discuss uh, it's sort of a maybe a bit of an elephant in the room for it will be for some people um but it 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 ends up like musically and lyrically having so much hope and the song that they're referring to is simply their relationship and their life together mm. and uh, i just used that as a play on let's save this song for a dance or we can save this song for later or whatever it might be right so yeah, that's pretty much, and it's it's not, I would have to say it's not directly related to my relationship with my wife, Caroline, and the fact we've, it's more of the, of the fact that we've been together for over 30 years. Really? Oh, yeah. Uh, so. You, you two have such a beautiful connection. It's, oh, yeah, well, it's, thanks. It's, uh, it's so wonderful I, to spend time with you both and, and see your 
your inner children. That's great. Like, yeah, sure. So... Well, your kids brought it out of us too <laughs> easily because they're they're incredible. But yeah, so thirty years together, and uh, just uh, I think anybody could actually write anything about being with someone for 30 years uh, 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 at that level or, you know, the 24 seven thing, that yeah. relationship. Right. I mean, we've all got friends that we've known for years, but there's yeah. that person that is in your case, the mother of your children. And, yeah. and, um, and we're supposed to call them our best friends, right? Well, what if they're not? Yeah. Then That's... just call it what it is. Yeah. How is your relationship as two people living under the same roof right now? What is that? How is it qualified? What does it represent to you, right? And uh, everyone has a different answer when they get honest with it, right? And that Save This Song came about just by uh, partly... There's another one, actually, that uh, I might send you as well. I'm not sure, but it's it's called A Long While, and it's one that we've actually been playing live for a while. Mm -hmm. And I think it's quite possibly my favorite song that I've ever written and this save this song might be a long while part two okay uh, it's the best way to put it all right well let's take a listen yeah no save, problem save the song by will well if you haven't got any of me left on your mind Then I swear to God There's no sense in us being here This time Well if we haven't lost Too many moments we can't find The weather good or not Maybe just call it off for the last time I couldn't bring the water home It's best we just leave it alone We ran dry on anything to say We didn't know we threw it away Threw it away of road But that old blanket's got a beautiful mess of patched up holes
started out with just a tr- for me just a trademark will sound like I, I could have picked that song as a will song no matter where I heard it and then you come in with your your voice it's so it's so enchanting and that's something I love about your songs it it's not just a voice that I hear and it's like that's pleasant it's a voice that penetrates mm. like it goes straight to the core and it just the vibration of it the I don't even know, but it, it really touches. It touches so deep. Hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I'm but, glad you like it. Yeah. Well, so, so it begins. It has those Moby pianos. It does. It's beautiful. And it begins with, like, would you call it regret? Like almost uh, things are almost too far gone. And should we just would it call it off for the last time? Yeah. Yeah. It's a. Uh, it's. Um, I guess. It would be like uh, coming, like, again, this isn't about Caroline and I. This is just about people in this situation, period. So I I would tend to write from the worst case scenario of this being legit with all the friends and people that I've known over the years Mm -hmm. that have ended up being divorced and some harsh, hard-ass, horrible divorce stories and some real amicable, beautiful things that, you know, would make Gwyneth... Proud, you know, like <laughs> and Chris, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, it's just that's that's life. Like that's that's what that's one of the things of life. So I put myself in it wholeheartedly. So my, I wrote it from a guy who is just kind, um, and doesn't want to hurt the other person in any way, shape, or form. Mm. Um, but has optimism. Yeah. You know, and it's not false optimism. It it's like, it's kind of like on the other song, the other song, oddly enough, which is, you know, part one. I'd say, yeah, uh, a long while. Um, there's a line in it that's like, uh, um, it's something about using a map and finding our way back to when we listened to those songs, and we knew every word. Mm. Uh, mm. We haven't done that in a long while. Mm. Uh, how do we get back to when we did that? And nobody gets to go back to their first night they, you know, made out in their car and the excitement and everything about being younger and just being unabashed and crazy and passion, love, all that stuff. It doesn't go that way. Like, it doesn't stay that way. And I appreciate people who say, I still look at my wife the same way I did when I first met her. I know what that means, but that's also something people do say. Yeah. And... If that's being kind, then that's great. But is it honest enough? Um, my personal response to that would be, I don't look at my wife the way I, I, I looked at her when I first saw her at all. Right. I look at her for who she is right now and what I see her for. And I take pictures of her when she's not looking. <laughs> and that's just my deal. Yeah. But we've been through the storms. Trust me, we've been through the battles. Mm-hmm. We've seen some shit. 30 years it's a long time for, yeah sure for any and relationship that, and that the quilt in this song is yeah, probably 80 years old i don't know like it's it's that old quilt that could easily just be thrown away or somebody goes well why don't we just patch it up mm-hmm. 
and then, then it becomes something that's actually quite beautiful, but it's a different version of what it ever was. Right. So that's just my metaphor for the relationship in general, because it took a lot to wear it out. Yeah. But it doesn't mean it's useless. Right. What I started to see, especially as the song started to kind of pick up on the hope, I started to see an old couple dancing in the twilight yeah good in in their living room that's just kind of where my mind went that's great yeah that's good that's really good because that could easily be like even at the lat the lat the end of the song is repeating we could save this song so it's not we did Mm -hmm. right but i think that's just like that image that it evokes for you is is valuable because if you if that was the video you know what I mean? Like yeah. if that was the end of the video and these people are 85 years old dancing with each other, like it's sort of like enough said, yeah. you know, like they did save the song. They're dancing to it. Well, and I can, I can feel to the, the possibility if we were in a crossroads, right. Should we call it off for the last time? Right. Or are we going to, or are we going to go a different direction and try to try to make it work? Try yeah. to, with this patch quilt. Yeah. And so I can see how with this old couple dancing, this is the vision of where things could go. True that. Yeah. 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 And, Do you want to be and, that? And then it brings it back to kind of the present moment of, all right, I'm in a crossroads. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. The crossroads is as much of a cliche as that can be sometimes. That's, that's all it can be called. Yeah. And you hit them individually. You hit them with other people. You hit them metaphorically and and literally yeah and uh that's all this is that's all all of this is as far as i know uh i don't believe it's the matrix and i don't believe any of that stuff like i just believe that i'm actually here and it's tangible as far as i know yeah but i'm also not a scientist or very well read for that matter at all i just like to believe that i'm actually here talking to you (laughs) um if we were on mushrooms it'd be a different conversation and it'd be pretty remarkable too that'd be a cool we, we idea for that. a pod oh man i've actually you, been thinking of if it, you so. i'm i'm no in. word of a lie like you want to do it i'll do it all right let's yeah do it. we'll, we'll do, do another it. podcast yeah. and we'll, we'll we'll take mushrooms let's do it and then just do that but <laughs> be awesome. my dad always wanted to do mushrooms with me too and he never got to but uh but uh all right yeah we'll, so we'll the whole like this being what this is i'm 50 years old now and my 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 thought on what like what's it really all about you know monty python or something right like um the meaning of life like i right now as far as what i believe which may not may not be the same in a year from now or i don't know but what i believe right now is that this is what this is what this is Mm -hmm. and it's only the like it has to have horrible shit in it so all of the most wonderful stuff can be recognized and appreciated and that's all i know and i don't look for bad shit i don't gravitate to (laughs) to uh turmoil uh but i don't ignore it and pretend it isn't it isn't there i don't hide from it i try to address it and equally recognize when stuff is amazing the funny thing about that though is that like when it's kind of like how do you choose to define yourself the greatest thing you ever did or the worst thing that you ever did which one of those are encompasses your thoughts more and those are pretty heavy questions right uh huge 
Yeah. And we all want to be heroes in the eyes of others. And we all want to be remembered for something great and hope that people think that the greatest thing we ever accomplished is for you. It could be your son. It could be, mm. uh, I don't know, saving, saving a family from a burning building. I don't know. Yeah. Like, but the thought, the, the fact that if we have the ability of recognizing the worst things we've done too, and addressing those, I think it's just as valuable. Although I don't know how it can't be, you know, they make who we are. And oh, when yeah. I think of some of the most pivotal moments in my life, they were me at my worst. Sure. And now I can look back on those, not with regret, mm-hmm. not with shame, but just going, wow, like that. I'm glad that's in the past, but, and I'm glad I learned from that. Yeah. And, yeah. and now I have this, this greater sense of integrity that I didn't have then. Yeah, sure. And that's just part of the journey. Yeah, it's true. And and it is that, the journey part of it. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying it is and this is the definitive answer. It's <laughs> not what I'm saying. It's what I believe. Yeah. And what I believe, I'll, uh, something had resonated years ago. Someone came up with a radio and it was something to do with poetry or whatever. And somebody had written that a rose is only beautiful because it dies. And... I almost had I almost had to pull over, but I didn't. <laughs> like it was just almost that mm-hmm. piv- that uh, <clears throat> euphoric of a, a eureka, whatever the, the mm-hmm. word would be, right? Um, and it's it's so true. Like that represents so much. Uh, yeah, like and I'm not going to get into it because it'll last too long and we won't get anything done. But <laughs> it's it, it it's well, it's just the take. I think <clears throat> I hear what you're saying. It's taking things for granted that we don't ever think are going to change that are always going to be there as yep. they are. Yeah. Whereas with, with the flower and bloom, we know it's temporary. Oh yeah. Yeah. It, it, uh, and that and when makes you, that moment perhaps even more powerful knowing uh, that a hundred percent it does. Yeah, it really does. And, and the ones that are in the corner of the dentist office every year that are still there mm. and they didn't change cause because they're plastic. Yes. They just fucking don't mean anything. <laughs> I'm sorry. That they don't. <clears throat> I, I I know it's an aesthetic and it's colors and it does something for that drab corner, but they should get some straw flowers. Straw flowers. There you go. Yeah. Like those are those are beautiful. Yeah. And had lived, and I still think they live for some reason in that frozen state. It's crazy. <laughs> but no, it's 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 definitely amazing that back to the songwriting part of it, where, uh, you know, uh, it, it's. It's almost, it's almost easy to write a happy song. Like for me personally, again, these are mm-hmm. all very, mm-hmm. you know, pers- uh, subjective. Yeah. Is that the yes, word? Yes, it's subjective. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's easy to write a happy song. It's really difficult to write one that isn't. Hmm. It's really tough to write songs that are hard. Uh, um, and I find that to be a wonderful challenge and a very cathartic thing and really healthy. Yeah. Um, well, I'm I'm going to take a wild leap and and attribute that in a large part to your parents and the upbringing that you had and right. and the love that you felt because your it sounds like your repository of of shadows is maybe not as profound and and overpowering as it is in some people people who have grown up with abuse and neglect. Oh man, yeah, that's their inspiration comes on in some of those darkest times. Mm-hmm. No, that's a good point. And you listen to someone like Leonard Cohen, it's like, that's that's not happy music. No, no, you're right. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's totally true. And 
and uh <clears throat> yeah knowing knowing about knowing that that all exists and uh hearing those the harder stories especially when you get to hear about the lives of some of the people we celebrate yeah i mean there's also a lot of people that just want to play up that they came from the hood you know and you can kind of see through that you can sniff it out mm-hmm. Whereas someone like Patrick Watson, mm-hmm. you know, oh, you don't, you don't, you don't have to, yeah. you don't even have to look up his biography. You could just listen to him, tell it to you directly or sing it to you directly, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the people in general, I think the, the adversity of an artist, I mean, I was no, by no means bubbled and protected and, and uh, lived in a, 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 a flowery field and we yeah. pranced down like in a little the beginning of little little house in the prairie it wasn't like that by any stretch yeah um but i'm uh my reflective appreciate my appreciation that i reflect on for what my parents represent to me it's uh the stuff that i i embraced and remember and draw from is just feeling safe mm. and loved mm-hmm. feeling protected and feeling cared for and feeling supported which are totally alien feelings to so many people i know i know i can i couldn't even imagine not having yeah. one of those if not all of them right uh, let alone going without food and struggling and all those things right and it's insane what yeah. people have to endure um it, it is in the in the men that i work with either in person personally or on retreats that is the biggest commonality which is not having a father right that that they have these these sentiments that you're sharing and right and they they just grew up with a broken sense of identity mm-hmm. and not having some of those feelings some of those things that we couldn't imagine not having yeah yeah it's something that i couldn't imagine not passing on to my children no it's amazing and What's really fucked up in our society, if I were to be so bold as to comment on it, is that we tend to, for some reason, covet fame and fortune over those those basic uh, yeah. fundamentals and feelings and ideas, yeah. and which is really really strange. Um, I get the obsession of wanting money and things and people to think you're amazing. I understand what that that is, but to ever let that be the governing body or ruler of yeah. your of your of your your motivation to move forward over seeing somebody <clears throat> and and uh, having enough enough empathy for them to recognize what it is that they need because they're broken mm-hmm. and you can do something for them f- for it without yeah. be, being pandering or sticking your nose in you know yeah. and that could be your son or your neighbor or whatever it might be but then again you do i i, I know that you would have to be wired empathetic versus yeah. the other right and it's although it's so common to be seeking that approval of others and their like ultimately it is self it is you're seeking external validation yeah which reflects that you don't have enough internal self-validation. There's not enough self-love, enough self-confidence right. when you're seeking it externally. Mm-hmm. And it's obviously extremely common. It's it's part of our culture. Yeah. But there's this inability to fulfill from within. And that's so important for people to be able to have that, to find that that rock within to stand on, to know that no matter what anyone else thinks about me, 
I'm good. Yeah, yeah. I've got this. Yeah. I'm good. Yeah, and and uh, some people are born with it and they're able to keep, stay with that. Yeah. <clears throat> some people uh, have it and they have to strip everything away uh, to, to, to expose it, right? Yeah. Um, some people learn it with time. Some people figure it out at their last on their on their deathbed with their last breath going oh my god i finally get <laughs> you know like like the the end of the the, the great james robard and tom cruise magnolia bedside you know yeah. scene like fuck what a what a film but no it's it's uh it's uh it's pretty remarkable when you start to if you're if if you happened to fall into the self-recognition and knowing more about who you are in life yeah. And shedding up a lot of uh, the luggage and uh, bullshit too, you know, right? Because it's just who who wouldn't have it in this in this society of ours? Who does? Who wouldn't have the want to pursue and and be better and bigger, stronger, faster, and win? Who wouldn't want to come in first? You know, with how we what we appreciate in our society and how we how we how we set standards and you know, like it's someone who doesn't live on social media. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. You know, but. Uh, it it's definitely uh, we we we're not like oh man this could we we got to do mushrooms because <laughs> like honestly I've it's got like some in the kitchen I mean we could we could go there now I know I know I know <laughs> and like then this. I am staying over and then it's like <laughs> shit sorry Marg your 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 uh, physiotherapy for your leg is gonna have to wait yeah. but uh yeah so let's let's move on to another song let's do it and uh then we, that'll that'll get us through at least another we'll try for three songs for this not that i'm under any huge whatever it's yeah. up to you because you're gonna have lots of material i'm not under stress but yeah let's go for the next one we've got uh what do you want to set up next uh let's do the song oh this will be a good time to insert a happy song yeah so uh lion's feet okay is the song okay and Lion's Feet is uh, was very easy to write because it's so joyful. Mm. Um, a lot of the writing that I do uh, comes, and I'm only I'm only like I'm prompting all this like for you to have lots of ammo, to, <laughs> like a lot of stuff to choose from. Yeah. Versus you having to get to the question. Like I'm just giving you. Give like, me, that's fine you can give me answers without questions yeah yeah that's yeah. kind of what i thought you <laughs> makes you my job use, easy you can put in the question <laughs> so what's lion's feet about <laughs> yeah uh, i don't i don't mind jumping straight to the point <laughs> yeah yeah totally it's funny that the I, I i vowed the one thing i vowed to do with this podcast is to not use the word i a lot because that that's that well it's something that was taught to me a long time ago uh uh taught to me or presented to me as a challenge and i think um the challenge was loosely based on try going 24 hours without using the term i mm. and see what happens and so i did it and it was fucking hard to do yeah and what happened though as i got better at it over the course of time like more than a day it takes more than that i just purely ended up listening more mm. Because think about where that, where I is inserted and how it's used. And if we abolished it, you could still talk about yourself and experiences, but you got to think about how to present it. And then it prompts more listening and questions for someone else you're engaged with, which I really dug. Yeah. 
because I really dug it, <laughs> you know. But it, but it was it was a pretty remarkable exercise, we'll say, right? Okay. And it doesn't mean using I is bad. Yeah. But in situations like this, where you ask questions and I have to answer them about me, it's just ridiculously impossible to avoid using that. Well, and I'm going to. <laughs> I'm going to challenge that a bit because what I'm finding... You just said I three times. Yes, I'm, I'm not anti-I. No, I didn't say you have to be. This was just an exercise is all. The, yeah. the reason the person sitting here wants to challenge this <laughs> is because when the interviewer does podcast... <laughs> okay. All right, I'm dropping it. I'm doing I. Yeah. When I've done interviews and I'm and we're getting really deep and personal into someone's experience... Yeah. And they start to use the you language. And you come to this place where you can't go on and, and you're oh, thinking about ending it. Interesting. And for Who's me, you? that's it. I'm like, <laughs> I'm not thinking about ending it. I'm, I'm wanting, I want to hear your story because I think in a podcast, it's your personal story that's yeah, so true. powerful. Yeah. And so maybe this is a different context of I, but when you're telling your story, I want to hear your story as a personal journey. Yeah, that's a good point. And this point. is something that, that is done also in in men's work is that when someone starts to revert to that third person narrative, right? a coach will draw them back in. No, oh, no, no, kidding. no. This is not about someone else. Oh, why? Take okay. ownership. Mm -hmm. This is about you. When I did that. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I like that. Anyway, just wanted to that's throw a cool. monkey wrench. No, in that's there, yeah. really cool, uh, especially in this in this situation. As a as like, because I mean, I know that this was this set up. You asked me to do this so you could have me talk about me. Yeah, and I love talking. I well, can we do can it all talk day long. About someone else, if you want. Well, but. it's amazing because it's almost like this. It's not forced humility at all. It's just a conditioning thing, where when you're an artist. That's also part of your mandate and part of your job is you talk about your shit. Mm -hmm. This is this is about you. Guess what? Suck a big dick. Get over yourself. Talk about you. What's going on? Here's pictures of you. Here's you responding to your fans. Here's you. Here's your song. What did you do yesterday? How did you grow up? What did your dad do about giving you a guitar? All those things is about you. And it's the, the I get that people want to hear about people's lives, right? And, uh, it's such an amazingly, impossibly difficult p career to have chosen to do, now landing at 50 and still doing it, and not wanting to have the spotlight on me unless I'm standing on a stage and you need to see me so I can move you. Yeah. And then I would like to shut that the fuck down and never have to do an interview and... uh talk about me or promote me or tell you about my new thing and try to get you to pay attention to me so I can have more numbers in the bottom of the screen. Mm -hmm. I have zero interest in that at my age now. Thankfully, Caroline looks after that part of it in our lives, the social media. But it is a necessary evil, right? And the podcast thing, what we're doing, I love this. This is this is really wonderful because you make me feel comfortable and I know what this is about. That's because I'm massaging your shoulders. While we're yeah, I know. That's, here. I can't believe they can't even one hear of the that. Things I do for my guests, <laughs> yeah. and that's not my shoulders. <laughs> but that the uh, yeah. So, well, I, get, I guess sorry. Yeah, I was going to give it some context because when I proposed this idea to you mm -hmm. on the phone kind of a blank slate we hadn't even really talked in person before this other than at some concerts but 
when I suggested this and you, you said, yeah, there's, I haven't really gone very personal. No. Caroline's handled the image side of things, the media side of things. Yeah. And so people don't really know a lot about me. Yeah. And Which I, I got to admit, I kind of dig unless you know me. Yeah. People who know me, know me. Yeah. And people who on the, on the outside, so to speak, I kind of like it that way. Mm -hmm. So this is the, this is, this is pretty interesting for anyone who ends up listening to it. Yeah. It's pretty cool. There were at least be four or five people. So. Well, uh, yeah. Like I've, yeah, like we have, I we, know of nine people. We might hit double digits. <laughs> <laughs> For sure nine With by the time it's the fall. <laughs> but uh, but I, I guess I don't even know what my point was other than back to the eye thing. And I keep wanting to give you ammo, right? So right. Lion's Feet. Lion's Feet. <laughs> Lion's Feet, uh, the songs that uh, this motherfucker writes. <laughs> and... Uh, 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 for years, uh, speaking of people not knowing about what else I might do, um, because I am actually a very private person, uh, uh, the I've been doing commercial composition for a lot of years with Six Degrees, uh, the aforementioned company and the friends that I have through uh, playing music and Jeff Lytle and his brother and so forth. And uh, my manager at uh, a man who became my manager and, a, and an unintended mentor, Dan McManus, uh, very uh, one of my closest friends, and uh, possibly the only reason why I'm still doing it to some degree. Uh, I've been working with him in Six Degrees doing commercial composition. So, what would happen there? This process back to a, that concept of the or the the, the the talk about the process of every artist is different. Whenever Dan asks something of me, uh, I'm only trained by myself, not him, but by myself, to drop everything I'm doing and do what he's asked me to do. And that, that was my choice a long time ago for what he's done for me in my life. Something I'll never be able to repay in 100 years right, of living. And uh, <clears throat> so there's those certain people that you have in your life that when they ask for something, you don't ask why, you know, like, could you, could you hide this gun? It's like, sure. Like, <laughs> just do it. Yeah. Uh, um, that just reminded me of, uh, good fellas, but, <laughs> but, uh, sorry. Um, uh, but Dan, uh, has, uh, provided me with this amazing side career of doing commercial composition for many, many years. And uh, that was part of the, the the Travel Alberta Remember to Breathe campaign. That was a massive, massive thing for everybody involved. Rome, uh, Rome, exactly. Such like, a beautiful song. Oh man, I used to just listen to that on repeat. Yeah, Seriously. so that's a good Loved example it. of a song that. Love it. Thank you. That 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 song only came about because Dan came to me with a, a, a job. Right. Yeah. And for some reason, since I can remember. Uh, having not been well read at all, actually, if not, not read, like I'm just not, I, I watch films and documentary <laughs> yeah. and I'm visual. Um, and uh, I can remember watching the opening of the Miami Vice television show with a pillow in front of me and drumsticks and playing along with Hans Zimmer, you what know, soundtrack. Uh, yeah. So just, um, anyway, uh, fast forward, uh, whenever Dan has a job and he thinks that I would be appropriate for it and uh, he'll just send me a really brief email and just be like, Hey, Swilly, this is what we're after. Uh, he'll either send a ref or, 
a reference that is or a brief description very few words of what it might need to feel like or be like and i'll just be okay and then i sit down and i guess i put it all together and send it off to him and it's usually they're usually only 30 seconds long sometimes they're 60 i'll ask sometimes like how long does this need to be he'll he'll usually say like just just write and we'll we'll sort it out later right mm-hmm. but sometimes some things should only be 30 seconds long because they get the job done you know right but uh so years and years of that and hundreds of songs and demos and the ones that really either came close to being picked up and used by a client or ended up being used i would immediately fully realize it as a song so dan's directly or indirectly and directly related to the motivation of these songs and uh the El Paseo record has like four or five four maybe maybe four i can't remember but it's it's like travel alberta pieces or one that never really took off but did it anyway or you know that kind of thing so and rome of course was just such a champion of a tune Mm. um and that's a whole other podcast what what, uh, that whole campaign is insane wow but uh so lion's feet was for another commercial job uh that started out as a 60 second piece maybe 30 seconds and i think it was originally titled gone um i can't uh i'm gonna go with or was it (laughs) no i think it is i might be confusing it with another song uh that we did for heritage park but anyway the cole's notes is he'll he'll get me to to come up with the feeling of something that is appropriate to put to film and and i'll do that and we'll go from there and uh a lot of times they end up being songs so lion's feet uh yeah yeah, it was. Yeah, Lion's Feet. <laughs> Lion's Feet was originally a demo for Heritage Park, uh, a, a campaign that they'd been putting together, uh, okay. put together years ago uh, for uh, and a lot of great footage that I remember actually writing to the footage in this situation with a little girl and a and a, a, a little border collie and she's kind of roaming through the whole Heritage Park, which is a heritage museum on site that you can walk through old old western towns and all that kind of stuff all right and i just came up with a super fantastical endearing song uh and that's where this came from okay and uh never got picked up by them but it's going to be on the new album we got it perfect let's take a listen okay lion's feet by will Under some giant trees Worn out those patches on our knees Brave the wild and jungle weather You and I, we run together Running for miles on lion's feet How long away from home We've been now for online 
It's not trademark, Will. No. It has a, a very different sound. I don't even know if I would have picked that out as being one of your songs and your vocal range is it's really demonstrated in that. It's so amazing where you go with that. Yeah, it's a different one, hey? And we're still working with the mix of it and not sure what to do because these, these, again, they're, they're, they're not completely and fully realized, but this demo specifically was one of Caroline's favorites. It's and beautiful, she, yeah. Thanks, yeah. And she... She and I want to just get it right, so we're still making decisions with it. But okay, the, that's the original vocal from the very first time I ever sang it. And really, something about it, like I've tried re-singing it. I love it, it. It just doesn't work. No, I love it. And I mean, my the the influences are, it's pretty weird. Like as soon as I get, no, it's not weird at all. Actually, I shouldn't. I didn't mean that. Um, when I get fixed on the sound of something or someone. It's like a little bit of a com, com, uh, obsessive compulsive or something like mm-hmm. um, this. I remember feeling like I wanted it to do what um, um, Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros do, uh, specifically with some of their tracks and some of his singing with that beautiful, almost falsetto breaking voice that he mm-hmm. has, like. This this Shia LaBeouf film came out recently called Honey Boy, and there's a there's a track on there by uh, Edward Sharp, which isn't his name. His name is, eh, we got to figure that out. <laughs> but anyway, th- this desperate, beautiful little falsetto, and so I got really hooked on that for a bit, and then that's what I wanted to convey in this. Yeah. And I wouldn't even necessarily normally try to sing like this live. Like it's very difficult to pull off because it has to be so, so right. Well, when you talk about it's easier for you to write songs of joy, I, the joy is just bouncing out of that song. It's yeah, for it, sure. It's this beautiful lullaby, and then it took me. You said it's. I think you said something you could see my kids going to sleep with, and. I was getting that early on, and then as it started to pick up, I'm thinking, here, Ollie's going to be dancing on the bed yeah. right now. Oh, God, yeah. And then I'm <laughs> seeing a kid being followed by this menagerie of circus animals and, yeah. and just filled with joy and wonder and adventure, and it's like the world is his or her oyster. Oh, my God, absolutely. Like, yeah, definitely. Bouncing on the bed with a big brontosaurus rex yeah. pillow <laughs> that's actually the shape of the dinosaur and all that stuff, and then... They've got stars on their ceiling that they go to bed with when the lights are out because right. they glow and yeah. and it's just like I don't know that that wonderment and that amazing stuff that we tend to 
uh, get clouded. Like it, t- t- it tends to go away as we get older. We mm-hmm. get more more layers of patina or paint on us, and mm-hmm. just a little more weathered or beat beat not beat down necessarily. But we get we we lose some of that wonderment for sure. It's how it works, and yeah. and then we go do mushrooms and we get it again, you know. <laughs> but it's um. Yeah, that that was an easy one to write, especially to the uh, the film that had been put together as a rough as a rough uh, commercial piece at the time. Like when you're writing music to somebody who has a great eye, you can you can write a song, you can write a symphony to a photograph, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it just that's how it works. I think mm-hmm. you know. And I love how it, to me it's kind of a juxtaposition to some of your heavier, darker songs. I'm thinking like Wedding Dress comes to mind, and right, and uh, to to have kind of these very different feels come out of your music, one being kind of more dark and brooding and mm-hmm. and then this beautiful, lovely lullaby. Both are beautiful. Right. But I love how you're able to do that with your music. It's Well, I'm getting there. It's taken a long time to get there, but I think it's coming around more right. so than now, now I than think, it used to. I think your second half century is going to be your best. So Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> a half a hundred right now? Like, that would be amazing. Uh, like, Oh, honestly, dude, it would be, uh, it would be a pleasure to be able to play music, uh, uh, like John Prine well mm. into, you know, seventies, eighties, you know, uh, like just, I have no fear of that. Uh, mm-hmm. right now I don't anyways, like mm-hmm. I still don't fear getting older. Uh, I wanted to get older when I was younger and I, and as I did, I, I, for some reason was okay with it all the time. And do you still have that? you still want to be the best opening act or has that even changed now to where you just don't give a fuck? Well, yeah, the don't give a fuck part of it. If you mean that as like a, you just a wanna, healthy thing. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah I, I don't cr- give a fuck. You and your craft. No, I don't, I don't give a fuck. Um, yeah. Um, meaning I like, yeah. Cause I mean, I used to say that a lot about a lot of things and then it, and it's like, well, that kind of comes across as like, you actually don't give a fuck. It's like, no, 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 no. What I mean is it doesn't bother me. Well, so, it goes back to that. You're not seeking external validation. No, you're not fulfilled. Now. No, yeah. no, it's nothing yeah, to it's, prove. Oh man, it's it's a uh, the validation comes by way of of uh, uh, the little things that um, like the odd time when I'm being silly on the microphone, I'll t- t- I'll say that we're a moving company, mm-hmm. and uh, this is uh, this is our job is to move you. So I'm I'm literally a moving company. Then I think about Dan saying heavy lifting, and that's what he would use as a reference to a hardship in life. And the heavy lifting, like the heavy lifting that I've gone through personally, is astonishing. Uh, specifically, one story that we won't get into that could could uh, could be uh, a remarkable movie on uh, on its own. Yeah, and I'm grateful for having gone through it and survived it, but. Uh, that heavy lifting is... Because uh, you really set that up and we're not going into it? Well, no, we just can't. <laughs> well, we, we can't because episode it's... Episode six? It's, yeah, possibly, <laughs> but it, it is very, yeah. very, very... I wouldn't be able to go into it no. uh, by no, using names and you. people yeah. involved. And uh, I think that that's something that I will, I will just guard. Yeah. But my point with that is letting you know that uh, that uh, I've seen... I've definitely seen my my share of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, it 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 uh, <clears throat> and then draw and and I, for some reason became more fixated on it 
with other people going through it. And I, I loved to be able to talk to people about anything hard that they went through. Cause I think they got a sense of me not judging them at all. Cause I'd been there and that yeah. was really helpful. Like just out of the blue, somebody would just tell me some shit cause they felt they could trust me. Right. Right. And with that came this real overwhelming sense of, um, being a moving company. And, uh, I have a lot of songs by a lot that are about a lot of people that don't have names in them. And they were inspired directly by those people. And I will watch those songs move other people. Um, the Back to the Long While song, uh, not that long ago, last winter, playing it, playing that song uh, at a show and watching a woman in her 50s move her left hand over to her husband's right hand mm. and then grab his hand and squeeze it and start crying. Wow while i'm singing the song yeah and you know it's not because their shit is wrong it's because they've been through the wrong shit and they got through the wrong shit or the right shit or whatever right yeah and that was like it's a save this song moment yeah yeah and that exactly and that and that just it 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 just completes uh anything that i could imagine wanting from this Mm. um if that if that made sense yeah Yes, absolutely. No better reward than that. Yeah. Let's set up the next song. Yeah. I love this. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. We got Brave or Hot Summer Night. Yeah, let's do Hot Summer Night just because now the three songs are so wildly different. Do you want to introduce it before we... uh... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Real quick. uh, Yeah, good call. This is a, a tune that was yet another commercial uh attempt at something and it was a really cool thing that i won't get into unfortunately i'll leave that out as well (laughs) (laughs) oh i don't know why i would leave it out but i got the opportunity to write a piece for the international olympic committee okay for the upcoming uh summer games wow and uh i think i'm allowed to say this stuff i don't know like if i'm not then is this the now defunct summer games um yeah but i don't know how it's playing out that way like because i think uh, well, yeah, uh, absolutely, it would be. Oh, yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah, because we are pre- the new world, right? Yeah. So this is pre-COVID and all that stuff. And and yes, and uh, there was a, a situation with uh, this piece where Tony Hawk was involved because it was really? going to be the first year of skateboarding Yeah. being in the Olympics, uh, even though it had been in as a trial thing okay. maybe at one point. I'm not rem- – I can't, I can't yeah. say that's accurate, but – it was a really big deal because I grew up skating and yeah. I only stopped like because I got hurt and uh, I loved like every, people who love skateboarding, they love skateboarding, little boys and girls, they love skateboarding, but I lived and breathed it. Um, and um, I genuinely did. I, I, I rented a house that had a half pipe uh, in Calgary. Nice. And, you know, <laughs> that, so it's just when this came up, Tony Hawk is the, the, Anyway, won't get into all that stuff. Could you write a piece for this where and and Dan guided me with the kind of the attitude they were looking for and I came up with this amazing little guitar riff and a couple of whoops and yahoos with it. And uh on on things go and it goes by the wayside a bit and I'm like, "Well, I'm got to develop this." And so I made a song about growing up skateboarding in Calgary and listening to uh heavy punk rock music like I 
I I was obsessed with Beyond Possession, uh, SNFU, mm. um, Agent Orange, uh, Circle Jerks, uh, like uh, yeah, just just so keen on yeah. on really hardcore punk music, and we used to go to the attic and steal tapes and skateboard down Eighth Avenue Mall, and and uh, so I wrote this song. Uh, called the greatest names how we fell in love with the bands with the greatest names right and that's the song that is finished it's done and then this radio contest came up that caroline presented to me for c fox and it was a rock radio station and they're looking for a new summer song okay and i'm like well let's see what their see what they what their format is and I'm, and i just had this tune i'm like what about this and caroline's like well it's not really summery it's definitely aggressive and I'm like, fuck it, I'll rewrite it. <laughs> you know, like, so let's make it a, a, the new summer song. <laughs> so I went back in the studio and I rewrote it and resang it, and that's this tune. And okay. uh, yeah, it's it's just a so originally for the Olympics. I know, I know. It's, 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 it's and is a, that going anywhere, or do you not know? No, that's that's done. That's like, done. They're, they they're going to do whatever they end up doing instead. Damn. Like that, that's also part of the this the commercial composition world yeah. is 45 jobs you might get no's right and then you might get the 46th job as a yes right yeah speaking well, of which did you know that the song um 25 or 624 by chicago right do you know what that refers to no this is so tr- cool I like i love it always wondered and yeah. some people a lot of people think it's 25 or 6 number two four okay so what is this the code for or a number mm-hmm. for well what it is is when the fellow who had been up at three in the morning writing it looked at the clock and it was it was three thirty uh four or right. whatever the math would be so it was actually 25 or 26 minutes to four o'clock okay <laughs> isn't that neat <laughs> 25 or 26 to yeah it's 25 <laughs> or, or 6 to 4 that's <laughs> and it's 6 2 to 4 yeah, yeah i don't know it's 25 or 6 to 20. 4 <laughs> <laughs> okay anyway i'm keeping that snorting <laughs> okay here's another one <laughs> okay uh so yeah this is the this is hot summer night yeah and well you'll tell me afterwards if it got taken on to the if it made it to the the c fox list here but here it is hot summer night by will
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Edgy. Lion's feet and it, then that. It's, it's edgy. Yeah. And it to me, it was almost two different songs or influences that came together. There was kind of this old school influence, almost like a Bachman Turner overdrive a little bit. Right. And then it goes in. It took me into the mosh pit. Totally into the punk. Yeah. Like, like you said, my brother and I, we were huge into the punk scene and we used, used to go watch like No FX and oh, wow. go to the Vans Warp Tour. And yeah. And I was there back like when you're when you're in that, I'm I'm feeling that during that that portion of the song. Good. And then it kind of goes back again to more like takes me back to the seventies right. and then brings me back into the mosh pit. Nice. Yeah. I love yeah. That. So that was the intention of that for yeah. sure. And just speak to that chaos. Yeah. And uh yeah, so your memories of that, you know, like what that does for you when you're developing as a human being. Like it's the aggressive music and the powerful music. I It just, I think that that, that physically does something to people mm. as much as listening to Fire and Rain by James Taylor and what it does emotionally in, inside quietly to people. Like mm-hmm. there's something sad songs or heavy songs you don't necessarily move around like that right you know you're usually fairly stationary and and quite reflective and stoic and it's you might have the lights down and it's personal and that this type of music was the opposite of that it was it was so so physical and so public and so fucking crazy and full of spit and snot and fire and kick and dust and Mm -hmm. just mosh pits and touching and pushing and pulling and things we can't do anymore <laughs> i know like what the what's gonna happen like oh wayne coin the he he's got that figured out with their their big giant people bubbles which is pretty awesome because he was doing that before covid the the flaming lips and uh okay those big hamster bubbles people can get crawl inside <laughs> right, of so right yeah it's pretty rad his their <laughs> late, latest videos of that but uh no it's and that's just a, that's a whole other primal thing you know like to tussle and roll around and and punch a wall and kick some snot or kick some stuff, you know? Yeah. And so there's so much value to that too in that music. There is Uh, it. And I remember the first, I think it was pre-Vans Warp Tour, but my brother convinced me to go to Washington, D.C. We grew up on the East Coast. There was this punk concert going on in an old warehouse. Fugazi. I don't sorry, even, I just, yeah, I've, 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 <laughs> I think they were from DC, but I, anyway, I've sorry. seen them. Yes. Yeah. And I remember going into this, I was young. I was, I was maybe like 13 and didn't really, right. I wasn't listening to punk much. He was, and we go to, and I remember walking into this environment. And as you said, it's physically, it, it hits you. And I just, I always remember that feeling of, I no longer was in control of my heartbeat. Right. It was based on the beat that was coming through these giant speakers and the energy that was in the room. And it just kind of carried me into it. And at times it was scary. It was like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. But it's something that eventually I became a huge fan. And we, I started going to all of these concerts with him or on my own. And That's awesome. And Yeah. That's the that's, energy of the punk scene. And yeah. Yeah. It's so valuable. Yeah. It, 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 it's arguably a movement no less important than the Beatles or Bach. Well, no, like, no. and like then just... you talk about Tony Hawk and the origins of, of skateboarding. Yeah. It was intertwined with the punk scene. Yeah, 100% it was. No, it's so true. It's, uh, 
Yeah, you listen there, all you all you parents out there of children. You let them put holes in your drywall with their feet when they're listening to the songs. Uh, no, yeah, it's that. Uh, I like you. What's going to happen? Yeah, where's it going to go? Like, I don't want to. I'm glad we're not we're not talking about any of that. No, right let's not now. go there. Tell me about the song. You put it up for a competition with yeah, Vancouver yeah, right. radio station, wrote huge radio station. Yeah, and so took the time. Uh, basically, like <laughs> as I would with Dan, I committed every minute okay. to, to to do this thing at home because I um I'm doing all of this on my own at home, like playing everything and uh you know uh, that's part of you're doing all the instruments. Oh yeah, you, and you do it, it all, all yourself. Together. You mix, yeah. you do all of it. Uh, no, uh, I don't. You do. See, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't yeah. even clap. So, it's, like, it's like going so to I a restaurant. And someone's like, "So how are we today?" <laughs> Well, I don't know about you, and I actually don't care right now because I don't have any. I don't have any history with you. I hope you're okay. But if you're asking about us, no. The uh, uh, what was I getting at? The uh, I don't remember. You were all in mixing. Yeah, yeah, everything. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So revamp the whole song, and I ditched the concept of stealing tapes and listening to bands with the greatest names and skateboarding, and went down this road with a summer vibe thing because my wife basically grew up behind a boat. Yeah. Uh, in the Slocan Valley as a, as a water baby, like she's just a summer gal, right? Yeah. And uh, uh, so I wanted, we we also have a song called Summer Song that is purely dedicated to her and her family and the Slocan Valley and Jack. And anyway, um, this was sort of like a, a another, another summer song and they wanted a, a summer song. Yeah. So you had to write them their, their anthem yeah. for the summer. So I did it and had my buddy uh, and uh, uh, my friend and previous drummer, Jason Cook, uh, who's mixing and mastering these things, doing the best he can with the these garbage stems that I give him <laughs> that are, are nowhere near as good as they should be. But that said, uh, he did that. We wrapped it all up in time. Um, I stopped everything I was doing to get this done because of the, the, the deadline. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Sent it in and then read the rest of the content for us, <laughs> which... Only stated that they just wanted a video of you fucking playing with your band and doing the song, <laughs> which is so cool, and I get it. And this is COVID art. COVID already hit the fan, right? And it's like, okay, so here's a song that, I, like, I need to get Sean Varro on board to to be the electric guitar player. I gotta, what do I gotta get a bass player now that I've never had in my whole life, uh, and put this together and rehearse it with Keith and get in a studio and good on gopros and all that started and i'm like fuck this <laughs> you know, like i'm like if they could only hear the song they'd probably really like it i right. mean i talk about house of pain in this song <laughs> they they would play house of pain right after this song so we didn't enter it and okay. it was pretty funny and my wife is like i'm so sorry i didn't read the fine print <laughs> well it reminds me of about 15 12 12 years ago my wife and i were going to vietnam for a trip and we were in China on business actually for our college. And then we were to fly from China to Vietnam and we get to the airport ready to go. The whole vacation in Vietnam is kind of mapped out for us. And I won't say who, but one of us only read so far in the, in the material on the entry requirements. And it said entry visas can be obtained upon arrival. And so somebody stopped reading right then and thought, great, we'll get an entry yep. visa upon arrival. Pretty self. <laughs> the next few words said, provided that you have prearranged with a travel agent. 
which we had not done. Uh-huh. So everything booked and they weren't letting us fly. So we didn't go to Vietnam. Wow. <laughs> we ended up two nights in hell in Chinese airports and we finally made it to Thailand and we had a good vacation there. But yeah. Anyway, just a side note. Of yeah, good side. Not reading that, that next line. Oh, sure. Only getting so far. No, and, and you know what? Like I would love to take the brunt of the blame for this because it's Caroline does so much for us. Like she runs... I break strings period yeah while whilst having clients for home care and all sorts of right. stuff like she's amazing but she didn't fucking read the, the, the contest <laughs> properly <laughs> you have this song now as a result of it <laughs> and you, a really and you can't cool change song that, right no it's true and, you, and, it, and we're gonna put it on the album and yeah. let people hear it and it'll be wonderful and, and now there's an even better story to it than before so it's and who knows maybe it's going to be picked up as the the you, summer you never know the summer song no it's true and again next summer i didn't want to win a contest yeah like this sounds so ridiculous why did i enter a contest i don't want to win <laughs> it wasn't that at all i just wanted to hear it on the radio right i was like you can you can keep your contest stuff just put on the radio but Bef- like before the summer ends let people hear this you know boombox is pumping jump yeah. around with house of pain you know i said boombox <laughs> this is a direct relate like uh this is this we're talking 1992 well, if one of the ten listeners is, has a, any connection, like we might still get this on the radio. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> vote, people. <laughs> For what? <laughs> Whew. Yeah. All right, we gotta we gotta get into Brave because I think we're gonna finish off with that and then get you on the road. Oh, we got Brave as well. Oh, we're not doing Brave. Sure. You had it on my list. Yeah. No problem. Let's do it. Like quick intro. Great done. Yeah. Brave. It's about just you know be brave. <laughs> Boom, here we go. <laughs> Actually, why don't we just close it out with this? We'll leave our listeners with this parting gesture of your beautiful song. Sure. It's been an incredible honor having you in the studio. So much fun doing this, Well, It was a lot of fun, and thank you. My pleasure. This is my first podcast. Are you kidding me? No. Oh. And I've got... I've, that I have had friends <laughs> tell me over the years that I, I should have a podcast. And I was like... Well, that's doesn't everybody, but it's true. That's I, no I, reason to I not do, do it. Yeah, because this was awesome, fun, and you've got a good thing here. And uh, yeah, this is my first podcast, so nice. thank you for popping that sherry. And uh, <laughs> and then we'll do the mushroom one. We'll do the yeah, we'll do the mushroom one. I look forward to that. I'll play a song for you live on this with a guitar and and your kids because. I know that you mentioned your son listens to some of our tunes and yeah. I'd be happy to sing him a song. Yeah. Yeah. For or, the next for the mushroom one. For the mushroom one, got oh, it. Oh yeah. We won't let them on, know. On mushrooms. You're oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you even know what it's gonna be? It's just gonna No, of course you don't know what it's no. gonna be. Yeah. Oh. That'll be beautiful. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been a great trip and I look forward to our next trip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And I really appreciate it, Todd. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. My pleasure. Okay. Thanks for listening. And please enjoy this last tune, Brave by Will. In life we have so much pain and then suffering too. Well, I don't know where it all started from, what would I do? I try to get back on my feet and it blows me right down. Here come the pain that I knew would catch up with me now I know how we fall so 
apart and fall down again And I know we're supposed to get right back up and not let it win You know how we fall so hard, you know why we do So we can recognize love from somebody like you Thanks for listening to Salish Wolf, brought to you by Anchor Point Expeditions. To hear more of Will's music, go to iBreakStrings.com or follow him on Spotify. If you ever get the chance to see him perform live, go. You will not be disappointed. Please check out AnchorPointExpeditions.com for information on my men's leadership retreats and personal development coaching. My next retreat is a bow building retreat on November 25th through 29th, 2020 in Powell River, BC, where I will lead six men on a life-changing inner exploration while we carve our own English longbows. With only six spots available and some already spoken for, this retreat will likely fill. Feel free to connect with me so we can discuss how this opportunity could impact you or go straight to the website to reserve your spot. This show was produced by me, Todd Howard, on Vancouver Island. Music was written and performed by Jason Kaus of the Darcys. Special thanks to Pacific Rim College for their ongoing contribution to the show. For episodes on holistic health and wellness, please tune in to my other podcast, Pacific Rim College Radio, at pacificrimcollege.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give it a five-star rating on whatever podcast app you are using and share it with your friends and family. Stay tuned for my upcoming podcast. 
Takeo Chronicles, featuring the inspirational story of the lone wolf that mesmerized the city of Victoria by taking up residence on a tiny island off the city's coastline. There, Takeo thrived, showing us even the most unlikely is possible. You have been listening to Salish Wolf. I am Todd Howard, signing off.